Today's podcast is brought to us by Mel Science. Mel Science is a chemistry subscription service that sends you monthly experiments to do with your child. How cool is that? It's a great way to engage kids in science early, educate them in a joyful manner, and get them to conduct real scientific experiments with their own hands. Get 25% off plus a free starter kit, a free virtual reality headset, and free shipping when you text GREAT to 64000. Text GREAT, G-R-E-A-T, to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. And also by BetterHelp. TeenCounseling.com connects your 13 to 19-year-old with a licensed professional counselor right where they spend most of their time, on their smartphone. Simply complete a short questionnaire and you'll be matched with a skilled therapist in teencounseling.com's network specialist. Then once you review their credentials and approve, the counselor and your teen will begin communicating directly. Visit teencounseling.com slash Meg and help your teen take charge of their mental health. Parenting Great Kids with Dr. Meg Meeker listeners can get 10% off your first month at teencounseling.com slash Meg. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 93, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, we are airing the second part of an interview that I had with the extraordinary Dr. Marty McCary. Dr. McCary is the author of two best-selling books, Mama Maggie, a book about a Nobel Prize nominee, and Unaccountable, a book about health care transparency. He's a frequent medical commentator of NBC and Fox News, commenting on the health care cost crisis and the impact of technology and interpreting the latest medical research for everyday consumers. Dr. McCary is a surgical oncologist practicing at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He's the director of the Center for Opioid Research and Education and the founder of SolveTheCrisis.org. Today in the podcast, I'll share my points to ponder so you can start using them right away. And remember, don't just download episodes, click subscribe. Not only are we on iTunes, but the PGK podcast is available on the Google Play Store and Stitcher. I want you now to listen in on the second part of the conversation I had with Dr. Marty McCary. You're really going to enjoy this. Today, greed has crept into healthcare, and we're seeing now hospitals where they're actively suing poor people who can't pay their bills and garnishing their paychecks. Mm-hmm. And that total amount they collect from garnishment is less than the CEO pay increase in one year. Yeah. And that's not right. That's not right. Talk about that for a minute, because I found that fascinating, too, that... Um, 
A, when, when somebody comes in, regardless of your financial situation and has an operation, you know, the hospital's going to say, Oh, it's $50,000. And then you challenge it and they go, Whoop, nope, it's really $15,000. But the patient doesn't know that. And your, your average person out there who just had the operation goes home and gets the bills and goes, Wow, they don't know that it doesn't need to be so high. And yet the hospitals will turn around, as you said, and I, I never realized that, that hospitals will sue patients um, and, and, and in many cases take money directly from their checking account, demand the routing number from the checking account and start taking their pay. I mean, this is bullying on a, on a scale I've never seen before. So Talk about that and how we get rid of that. Well, I discovered this practice of hospitals suing low-income patients. And by the way, 64% of, of hospitals have never sued a single patient. So most hospitals are doing the right thing or try to, right? But in a study that we released very recently in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, highest circulation medical journal in the field for those uh, outside of medicine and may not know, where we released the results where we basically showed that this aggressive and most extreme form of predatory billing, often for high overpriced amounts, okay, these are not fair, reasonable amounts, was going on and it was rampant. And one of the hospitals that I profiled in the book, The Price We Pay, had sued 25,000 people in a small town of 28,000 people. Mm. And mm, we went mm. there, my students, they said, look, we want to go with you. We want to go and talk to this hospital. We want to um, make calls. We want to talk to the board members. We want to even find the donors to the hospital and let people know. And what we found is that the doctors had no idea this was happening. Yeah. They were extremely outraged. And after enough uh, after I brought NPR down there with me on one of the visits on there visit number go. seven. Go to the media, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the hospital announced they are going to stop all lawsuits against patients. Wow. I just got back from New Mexico. We're doing the same thing there on uh, Carlsbad Medical Center, which is profiled in the book as well. And um, we got to remember why we went into medicine. Look, uh, we are all united. You me, every physician and nurse that I've ever met, we all went into medicine to help people. Right. When you walk into my hospital, Johns Hopkins, there's a nine-foot statue of Jesus with open arms at the front entrance, right in the center of the atrium, and it has the Bible verse, come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. That is our great American medical heritage. That is our great medical heritage from centuries, okay? It's in the spirit of helping, of compassion, of selflessness, of unconditional love that we do this job. Mm -hmm. And then for a hospital to turn around when somebody comes in vulnerable and to sue the socks off of them, uh, it's not right, and we're going to stop it. And we just met with uh, Senator Grassley's staff and others in the Senate Finance Committee, and we told them, how is this consistent with a nonprofit status? These hospitals pay no taxes, and so we need to look at this. So if you're interested in this topic, we have more at restoringmedicine.org. Restoringmedicine.org. I'll tell you, it makes me want to quit medicine and just join your team and go around the country. and Because I, you know, 
I had no idea this was going on. And our office is a stone's throw from our hospital. And, you know, and it, it and you, I've assumed it's a nonprofit. So, but I've noticed now there are fireplaces in the emergency room. And I thought, who needs, you know, it's just kind of, kind of crazy. Well, let's, let's turn the corner and just talk about some positive aspects. You feel, you said you feel very hopeful about medicine and the direction that it's going. And I don't think a lot of Americans out there do. Um, they just feel we're spiraling downward. Um, it's hard to understand the complexity of it. So, what is going to turn the tide and how are we going to get there? I mean, obviously, Marty, we need about 5,000 of you running around the country getting in the faces of insurance companies, hospitals, and pharmaceutical companies um, and saying, I know what you're doing. Stop it. But what can we do and why should we be so positive it's going to go in a, in a positive direction? Well, uh, it's a great question, Megan. The reason that I have this sort of optimism is that I've met in doing the research for the book so many incredible people, people who invented the app R- uh, GoodRx, mm-hmm. uh, people who are behind the website MD Save, where you can shop for services. And hospitals are now realizing, hey, we got to be competitive. We got to give honest pricing. Uh, you know, if you have to deliver a baby in New York City, that price, and I'm not talking about the charge master sticker price. I'm talking about the real price that's negotiated with insurance ranges from $6,000 to $65,000. If you're in uh, Boston, it ranges from $6,000 to $41,000. Is the $41,000 hospital that much better? No. They're both Harvard hospitals. Yeah. Okay. This sort of lack of transparency is allowed gouging, and now you're seeing MD Save, GoodRx shine some light. We're seeing employers shop for their healthcare and their pharmacy plan differently and getting a better deal. They're, they're figuring out what the money games are. They're getting educated. Certainly in the book, The Price We Pay, my goal was to create healthcare literacy, educate the general public on everything everyone needs to know. Um, you know, just kind of a business of medicine 101. But we're seeing businesses come in and realize, hey, it's not just picking Blue Cross Blue Shield versus, you know, United off the shelf for my employees. The pharmacy plan is a big thing. And you can actually get a much better deal by uh, opening up, you know, the the um, broker's mind into giving you more options and demanding certain things. Uh, We're seeing Keith Smith in Oklahoma offer a transparent menu of prices. We're seeing relationship-based medicine. I mean, look at ChedMed, which has been based in Florida, over 30 clinics around the country now. Mm -hmm. This is a a family of incredible faith, by the way, an immigrant family, uh, a doctor and two sons who are now doctors and run run the business, and they are telling Medicare... Let us take care of the patients instead of Medicare. We will take all the financial downstream risk and we will do a better job because we will spend time with those patients. Mm -hmm. We will prevent things. We will talk about food as medicine and treating diabetes with cooking classes and managing back pain with ibuprofen and ice instead of opioids and surgery. And we're going to talk about ways people can use meditation or yoga to treat high blood pressure and Mm -hmm. other lifestyle-based solutions 
and the results are super impressive. So I think good stuff is happening, Meg. Yeah. It's it's kind of taking things back to the way they used to be. It's simplifying everything. You know, I, I'm sure you've done it, but my husband and I have done medical mission work in South America. And every time we go, we go, you know what, this is what we were meant to be as physicians. You go in there, you look at the patient, you don't, uh, there's no billing, there, you have what you have, you give them the best care you can, and it's just wonderful. It, and then you come back to the United States and it's, it's completely different. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Dr. Marty McCary. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. KiwiCo creates hands-on projects for kids of all ages to make learning about STEAM fun. This holiday, a KiwiCo subscription makes a perfect gift for every young explorer, engineer, and artist in your life. KiwiCo is defining the future of play by making it engaging, enriching, and seriously fun. They create hands-on projects and toys designed to expose kids to concepts in STEM, art, and design. Their mission is to help kids build creative, confident, and problem-solving skills and to have a blast while doing it. There's seven lines to choose from catered for different age groups and topics like the Panda Crate for babies or the Eureka Crate for kids 14 and up. Each box comes with all supplies needed for that month's project, plus detailed kid-friendly instructions. KiwiCo projects are available via flexible monthly subscriptions or for individual purchase. They have gifts for kids of all ages, so there's something for everyone on your list. Friends, I am definitely going to include KiwiCo this Christmas for my grandkids. I've used KiwiCo with my grandkids from two to six, and I will tell you, they're a blast. KiwiCo is offering you the chance to get your first month for free. To redeem this offer and learn more about their projects, visit KiwiCo.com slash Meg. Have you heard about the company making stylish shoes out of recycled plastic water bottles? Rothy's has quickly grown to a most loved, gotta have them brand. Friends, I love Rothy's. I wear them to work. I wear them to the beach. I wear them out walking with my grandkids. They're washable and they're incredibly comfortable. Rothy's are the perfect everyday shoes for life on the go. They're stylish and comfortable. They come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, patterns, and styles like sneakers, loafers, points, and more. Plus, since Rothy's are seamlessly knit using thread made from plastic water bottles, they're ultra-comfortable as soon as you slip them on. Better yet, Rothy's has diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills already. Another major bonus, they're fully machine washable. It's like getting a fresh pair every laundry day. Check all the amazing styles out at rothys.com slash meg. Shipping returns and exchanges are free, so there's no risk, no worries, no reason not to try. Go to rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash meg to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash Meg today. We only have a couple minutes left, but I really need to address, um, because people are voting and people are running for uh, president, the whole idea of single-payer insurance company, government health insurance versus um, you know competitive health insurance with multiple insurance providers. 
can you briefly talk about um, the difference between those and the dangers um, that you would see in either place? I'm glad you brought it up, Meg, because now that we're in, in election season, the game in Washington, D.C., and trust me, I live in Washington, D.C., and see this with both parties, right? This is not a partisan issue, is promising things that, that really cannot be delivered upon, promising funds that we don't have. If you look at the current spending on Medicare, it is completely overspent, Okay, there the funds are not there. The program is not sustainable in the long term. So the idea of expanding that program to cover all Americans, it may sound appealing and and sure it'll get rid of some of the middlemen and money games in the short term. Where's the money? Right. Okay, and any system that's invested in a government funded healthcare system over time invariably it's 100% guaranteed that over time, the governments will dial down the healthcare expenditures. They just cannot resist it across the board cuts. And in 10 or 20 years, you're left with a dilapidated, underfunded system. You are paying, an average American is paying the equivalent of a new car in healthcare costs every year. You might as well buy a new car. That's how much of your tax dollars go to healthcare. And that's without even using the system. Yeah. If you you make $100,000 a year, you're spending $32,000 of your money on healthcare between your insurance costs, your employer's costs out of your pool of wages, and what the government tax dollars go towards healthcare. If you make $260,000 a year, you're spending $57,000 a year approximately on healthcare. Mm-hmm. If you make a million dollars, you're spending $125,000 a year on healthcare without even using the system. Mm-mm-mm. So yeah. the idea that we're just going to fuel and further tax and fund a system that's um, uh, already at the brink of um, uh, being unsustainable, it's not practical. It's sort of like free college education for everybody in the world at any college in the United States. It sounds good. Who's no? Well, how could you be against it? But show me where the funds are. Uh, uh, creating that subsidy is in part what fuels the high tuition of colleges. And that's what we've seen in Medicare with uh, this practice I profile in chapter one of the book of these unnecessary Medicare procedures that are rampant. And if we simply you know, feed the, that system, it doesn't do anything to address the underlying problem. Sure, some good things will come out of it. But remember, politicians talk about different ways to fund the broken healthcare system. We need to talk about how to fix the broken healthcare system. And throwing more money at it never works. And, um, you know, sort of trying to, quote, simplify it by having, you know, just the government pay for everything, to me is terrifying because if you have only one person that's paying for everything and, you know, uh, America passes, Congress passes laws that says, um, okay, everybody is going to get this, then pharmaceutical companies and um, can come to them and say, well, you know, you have to pay and you're the only payer. So we can, we can charge whatever we want from you. And that's really scary. I mean, talk about price fixing when there's no competition. Um, it could just make the whole system worse. 
But I think that's important for everyone to understand, particularly who's voting, is to understand it's a complex issue. And you're absolutely right. The focus needs to be on fixing the system and not how to pay for it. And that just throwing it to one entity is not going to be the answer. I think uh, healthcare literacy would go a long way in the United States. And it's sort of like financial literacy. It's not taught in schools, but it's probably one of the most important things. It's like relationship literacy or nutrition literacy. These are sort of the foundations of, of um, somebody being able to navigate our complex world. And I think healthcare literacy is an important piece. The book is The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. And Marty, that's exactly what you do in the book. You, you really make it understandable for people to know, you know, what is going on beneath what we really see. And here are some solutions and here are some things you can do. And personally, I, I learned so much from the reading the book because, you know, I try to keep my eye on the ball, which is patient care rather than what's going on behind me. So it really, it's an extremely important book and everybody needs to read it because this is an enormous problem in the United States. It's wonderful for you to outline um, a solution for it. So Marty McCary, thank you so much for being my guest today. Good to be with you again, Megan, as always. Thanks so much. And here are my points to ponder. These are the same as last week, and they're so important I wanted to repeat them. One, before you have a procedure done or pick up a medication, ask about cost. Have your hospital give you a range of how much your procedure will cost. Same is true with prescriptions. Often, doctors write prescriptions but don't have any idea what the cost is because changes are hard for them to track. So before you pay for it, ask the pharmacist what will cost and see if you can get a generic one. Remember, for most medications, there are several prices. If your insurance doesn't pay, go to GoodRx and print a coupon. They often give discounts on meds. Two, encourage your state congressman or woman to focus on fixing the medical care costs rather than debating who will pay for them. If we can get medical costs under control, who pays for them will be far less important. As Dr. McCary said, we can get costs under control and need to begin doing this rather than debate about single payer systems, government control, or multiple insurance companies. If you write a letter to your congressional representative and encourage friends to do so as well, we can begin to solve this problem. Third, not all doctors price gouge. Hearing Dr. McCary talk about price gouging from physicians makes us not trust our doctors. But remember, this is very rare in primary care and happens usually in hospital-based physicians. But even many of those doctors don't price gouge. So be wise, but not suspicious. Ask friends who have used the physician you're considering what their experience has been like. All right, parents, let's get social. I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can always connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Meg Meeker, MD. If you have a question, send it to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Hi, Dr. Meg. I have a strong-willed four-year-old boy. He enjoys playing pretend and dress up, including dressing up in dresses and pretending to be a girl, princess, or a queen. I did buy him a dress specifically for him, and we frame it as just that, a dress for dress up. His father does not like him wearing it, but I don't really see much harm in it. 
He also likes to wear my dresses, shoes, and my bag and pretend he's going to work. My question is, did I do the right thing in getting him a dress and letting him wear it? He still is George the boy and doesn't seem to have any real internal conflict. He goes back and forth with boy-girl personalities. I'd really appreciate your insight. Dear Anonymous, I think your son is fine. Many boys like to pretend they're girls for a bit and vice versa. You're smart to tell them that wearing dresses, etc. is just for play and they should be worn only at home. You'll most likely grow out of this phase within the next year and it's not uncommon. One of the worst things that we parents can do to our kids is to overread their behaviors and feelings when they're young. Your son is playing. You know that. You said he doesn't show any internal conflict. He's happy dressing up. He's happy as being a boy. Sadly, because of the hype around transgenderism, many parents conclude that any opposite gender play or activity means the child is transgender or that by allowing the child to experiment with dress means he has a serious internal conflict. The reality is the overwhelming majority of kids who cross dress when they're young are doing it just for play. Your son's imitating probably because he spends more time with you. Long before we had so much publicity about transgenderism, physicians routinely saw children mimicking the opposite gender. My own daughter went to a barber when she was 11 and had her hair cut short, bought a spit gun, and put a border of planes around her bedroom. This lasted about a year, and now as a grown woman, she's very feminine. So let your son be who he is. Don't overreact and do not push him. If he's truly struggling with transgender issues, these will come out over the next years. But letting him wear dresses now certainly won't cause him to be transgender. And 99% chance he'll outgrow it. Parents, you know I love answering your questions. Any question, easy question, hard question, no question is out of bounds for me. If you have one, go to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank my guest, the extraordinary Dr. Marty McCary. To find out more about Dr. McCary, you can go to homeward.com. Once again, that's homeward.com. I strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of his book, Unaccountable, What Hospitals Won't Tell You and How Transparency Can Revolutionize Healthcare. Also, his book, Mama Maggie, is a great read. So let's recap my points to ponder. One, before you have a procedure done or pick up a prescription, ask about the cost. Two, encourage your state congressman or woman to focus on fixing medical care costs. Three, not all doctors price gouge. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything. And leave us a review so we know how we're doing.